This is The Guardian. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Looking for your next great podcast? We live in unprecedented times. To make sense of it, what if you could learn from some of the most influential people on the planet? The podcast Tools and Weapons is hosted by Microsoft's Vice Chair and President Brad Smith. Every week he has a candid conversation with guests, including Prime Ministers and Pulitzer Prize-winning journalists. The latest episode features Bayer CEO Bill Anderson. Though most of us know Bayer for pharmaceuticals, they're also focused on crop science. They're putting digital tools in the hands of farmers to get the most out of every acre. Listen to Tools and Weapons with Brad Smith wherever you get your podcasts. It's a bit like, you know, those multi-stereo systems that we used to have back in the 90s where they've got six different disk drives and you've got CDs in every single one, but they're all doing their own thing. This is Jasmine. She has Attention Deficit Hyperactivity Disorder, otherwise known as ADHD. It feels like basically I'm dealing with this brain that is consistently prone to distraction. It will hunt for whatever is novel. It will hunt for whatever is fun at the time. And yeah, it's, it's quite an exhausting position to be in. But Jasmine has gone through almost all her life without an ADHD diagnosis even though there were some pretty clear signs. I swear there was a year where I lost my keys every week and had to replace them. The most hilarious thing was when my housemate actually ended up buying me a beeper to attach to my keys. I lost the beeper. (laughs) (laughs) Eventually, though, she came across an article about ADHD and its underdiagnosis in women. And then I started to clock certain things, you know, the perpetual daydreaming. I am an insomniac. I I don't really sleep that well. And after that, speaking to one of my good friends and saying, well, what do you you think? Because I'm starting to think it might be me. And they were like, nah, absolutely not, Jazz, because they had this stereotype in their head. Research shows Jasmine is certainly not alone. According to the ADHD Foundation, 50 to 75% of women with the condition in the UK could be unaware that they even have it. Going without a diagnosis can impact somebody's education, relationships, mental and physical health. So why have women with ADHD been left behind for so long? And is this finally starting to change? From The Guardian, I'm Madeleine Finlay and this is Science Weekly. Professor Amanda Kirby, you're a doctor who's worked in this field for over 25 years and you're the chair of the ADHD Foundation. 
So first off, what exactly is ADHD? It's three key areas of hyperactivity, inattention and impulsivity. So often people have challenges in their day-to-day life because they have difficulty perhaps focusing and concentrating on the things that they are not interested in. They lose attention as well. And for boys particularly, they can be hyperactive and very fidgety. When I think about ADHD, I've got to admit, I I imagine a seven-year-old boy in school being hyperactive, being a bit naughty. And it really has been a condition that we've thought of as affecting boys and men. But that has been changing, hasn't it? It really has. And your picture that you're painting of that naughty boy that's being picked up in school is really a picture that lots of other people have thought about as well. And that's why three times as many boys than girls have been identified. And until relatively recently, we really thought that ADHD looked like the boys. So we're hunting for the boys and we were missing the girls altogether. Why was it that these particular ADHD symptoms had been identified as this is what ADHD is and that was what was seen in boys but not girls? Why were we missing that half of the population? I think, first of all, we just kept looking through a male lens. A lot of the research was done more on boys than girls. Boys tend to have, these are generalisations, the hyperactive type ADHD. So they disrupt other children and the teacher in the classroom, so they get identified. Girls in general often have an inattentive type. They're missing instructions and they might be daydreaming, they might be doodling. And it may well be that you're finding things difficult, you're finding it hard to focus and concentrate, but you're not overtly very fidgety, but you're internally restless. Um, It's making you feel uncomfortable, so you're being missed then. And actually, this is an experience you've had as well, because despite researching this, despite being an expert in this, it took you a while to realise that you yourself might have some of these symptoms of ADHD. Absolutely. I mean, it's an interesting thing, isn't it? I've got um, children with ADHD and grandchildren with ADHD, and, I, and I've got, you know, a real family history. And I look back into my school days, and I was the doodler, you know, and even today, if you ask my family, I can never just sit, just sit and watch television. I'll have to do something else as well. And I look back, and I'm quite typical of girls and women who often were missed, misdiagnosed or misunderstood, but nobody even considered or asked about, could this be ADHD? It demonstrates how ingrained our ideas about who has ADHD and who doesn't really are. It really does. But we're recognising, for instance, that girls with ADHD, often their symptoms get worse before their periods and also after the menopause when the oestrogen drops that their symptoms can get worse. There's been no research till relatively recently about that. That's 50% of the population we've just basically not considered at all in the framing. And so it's very important that we highlight there are going to be lots of women uh, who are in their 30s, 40s, 50s who are now getting diagnosed and maybe they've spent years camouflaging and masking their symptoms and signs just to fit in. For Jasmine, who we heard from at the top of the show, not knowing she had ADHD made life a lot more difficult than it should have been. You end up beating up yourself first before you think something's wrong with you. I could not be an act in a way that other people were acting. I felt like a failure. 
And you know, you're trying to explain to people, I'm really sorry, this isn't intentional. And even, you know, my parents, God bless them, they're very, you know, pristine people. And they'd be going, we don't understand how you have this floor drobe in your room and, you know, we'll tidy up and an hour later, it's, it's just back to chaos. And you really internalise that criticism of not meeting the mark, of not being capable in a way other people seem to manage effortlessly. Amanda, we've heard from Jasmine about how not having this diagnosis meant that she internalised a lot of the negative feelings and criticisms that she got. What are some of the long-term consequences of getting a late diagnosis or not getting one at all? Well, there are physical and psychological impacts. I think this is really important, generally for people with ADHD and particularly for women with ADHD. So we see higher rates of uh, self-harm, suicidal intent. We see higher rates of physical challenges like chronic fatigue syndrome, uh, chronic pain, migraine, putting on weight. Some people have learned to use alcohol and cannabis to help calm them, to help them with a busy brain, not being able to get off to sleep. In general, we know with ADHD in males and females, there's higher rates of things like traffic accidents, uh, speeding offences, impact on education, unplanned hospital visits. There's lots of consequences that perhaps we don't even think about relating to ADHD. Jasmine, do you think that if you'd known you had ADHD a lot earlier, it could have had quite a big impact on your life? Massively. I think ADHD for me and for a lot of people really starts to show when adult life takes a hold. When you're going into further qualifications or perhaps you're going into the working world where you do have to meet certain deadlines, you do have to structure your life, you do have to make sure that, you know, (laughs) you're getting your five a day, you're waking up on time and you're holding down the other parts of your life. And that's definitely what happened for me. And that's when my mental health problems went from an awareness to, you know, very much a debilitating breakdown where I didn't get out of bed for a year. And uh, I do get a bit resentful when I think back to that moment and think this could have been caught so much earlier. Mm. It must be really frustrating knowing that you could have had that diagnosis. And if you had, what would it have meant for you? I would have been able to live my life in a healthier and more aware way where I showed myself a lot more self-compassion. And I was ultimately able to explain to people at times okay, this this is why I am like I am. There is a reason for it. I feel quite sad about that, really. Although, you know, you are aware that even medical professionals are <laughs> just people and people do make mistakes. So, you know, there is that there as well. It's taken until you're almost 30 for things to change and for you to get this diagnosis. How has it helped you? Well, there's so many things it's done. You know, It's really useful to know the way that you work and the way that your mind works. But for me personally as well, I'm now starting to develop the tools in which to manage this condition. You know, there is medication available, but there's also therapy geared up specifically towards me. So knowing that and having that has been really amazing. But I think just ultimately, I feel a lot more comfortable in my own skin. 
And that, to me, is worth its weight in gold. Amanda, we've heard how important it is to get a diagnosis and there are people like Jasmine who can speed this up by going privately but others aren't able to do that and NHS waiting lists can be really, really long. People can be waiting years for referrals and in some places there might not be any services at all. So in your view, what needs to change so more women can get their ADHD diagnosis if they need it and then can go on to get the right support? So I think the first thing is to recognise that ADHD has significant impact and a cost to the person, to their family and to society if we don't treat. There's lots of good evidence to show that if we treat ADHD, we can really have a, a massive impact. Two, ensuring services are adequately being provided across the UK. That needs heightened awareness and training for GPs, uh, for psychiatrists. Um, and then raising awareness for parents and adults, what you can actually do yourself. So understanding yourself, and a lot of females who get diagnosed say, wow, I now know why I get into a burnout cycle or when it's most effective for me to work. I'm not hitting myself thinking, why do I do this stuff again and again? Those things, psychoeducation, we call it, can really make a big difference and help with your emotional regulation and, and your well-being. So Jasmine, what advice would you give to somebody who might be experiencing something similar to what you've described today, who's maybe also received that late diagnosis and is trying to adjust to what it means for them? To put it as succinctly as I can, it's okay to find it hard. It's okay for it not to be the silver bullet. You know, when I got my diagnosis, it was a very emotional thing. I was wondering what parts were this condition and what parts were my personality. And I'm still, you know, struggling at times to, to separate the two. And I think allowing yourself to, to mourn that time that's been lost, allowing yourself to ruminate about the times that you have been let down. And I think as well, you need to take that time, that rest, because you're going to spend a lot of your life advocating for yourself. What's really important to say is, is well done for getting there. And, you know, it's it's never too late. And I'd also say to the people that are thinking they might struggle with it, but they're not quite sure, get it checked out. And just one final question. Now you've got your ADHD diagnosis and you're going through this process of kind of reevaluating yourself and your personality. I mean, what element of ADHD are you kind of glad to have? Mm. <laughs> what am I glad to have? Um, I mean, there's nothing worse than someone saying this because you feel like you should do a bit of stand-up or something on the spot to prove your worth. But <laughs> thank God I have a sense of humour, you know? I think that makes the whole thing a lot easier. And In fact, I would say the best thing about ADHD is, you know, we're people that love ideas. We love new challenges. And when you're in the right frame of mind, everything is exciting. There's always something to, to get hooked on. And that I absolutely love. Thank you to Jasmine and to Professor Amanda Kirby. 
If you'd like to find out more about ADHD, we've put a link to the NHS website on the podcast webpage, theguardian.com. And that's it from us today. The producer was Anand Jagatia, the sound design was by Tony Onachuku, and the executive producer was Isabel Rugal. We'll be back next Tuesday. See you then. This is The Guardian. Looking for your next great podcast? We live in unprecedented times. To make sense of it, what if you could learn from some of the most influential people on the planet? The podcast Tools and Weapons is hosted by Microsoft's Vice Chair and President Brad Smith. Every week, he has a candid conversation with guests, including prime ministers and Pulitzer Prize-winning journalists. The latest episode features Bayer CEO Bill Anderson. Though most of us know Bayer for pharmaceuticals, they're also focused on crop science. They're putting digital tools in the hands of farmers to get the most out of every acre. Listen to Tools and Weapons with Brad Smith wherever you get your podcasts.